Are you traveling anywhere this summer? Have you tried Airbnb? Use my link in the description and you'll get $40 off. Thank you. Enjoy the video. Hi, I'm Andrew Hales. Welcome to another edition of Chatting With. I'm here with Jeff. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. You're an expert on homicide. Correct. Yeah. Homicide? How do I say it? Homicide. Homicide. <laughs> um, how'd you get into that? Sure. I went to school for geography. Okay. And um, my senior year of uh, college, I took a, a class, um, very last semester, called GIS for Crime Analysis. Hmm. In crime investigation, you can use that to map out the epidemiology of, of different crimes. You okay. can use it to, um, to map out where different burglaries are happening. You know, it's common in finding different homicide clusters within cities. Okay. Um, so that's how you kind of got right, into I, this. Right. Yeah. I started out as a GIS intern hmm. at the Center for Homicide Research. Yeah. And that's in Michigan. It's in Minnesota. Minnesota. Right. Where you live. Right. Um, how long, how many years have you worked there? Two years. Homicide. That's just murder, right? It's a, or it's, it's kind of a vague thing that covers manslaughter and a bunch of terms. Correct. Yeah. Um, what do you mostly study? Just murder? Yep. So, um, all the above. So um, we focus really on criminal homicides and justifiable homicides in our databases. Like self-defense? Uh, yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that would include first-degree homicide, second-degree homicide, um, felony homicide, which is any homicide committed in the commission of a felony. So if you go rob a bank and uh, an older lady has a heart attack because you're scaring her, hmm. you will be charged and likely convicted of a homicide. Okay. In that instance. Right. Um, and then, of course, justifiable. A lot of law enforcement shootings are considered justifiable. Not all, as we've obviously heard with yeah. police shootings. That's a big thing right now. It is, yeah. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Um, what's your, I guess, yeah, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. Do you subscribe to any of those? <laughs> Personally, yeah. I support Black Lives Matter. Okay. Right. And, and the I, reason... Yeah, I don't, I don't have a stance on it. Like, I, I don't know if I should or shouldn't have a stance or what. Sure. It's okay <laughs> to not have a, a stance on it. Like, you're saying the police are... They are abusing their privilege a little bit? I'd say some of them their are. power. And I, mean, I think yeah. that's a pretty critical difference is that we sort of have this tendency to lump everyone into groups. You know, we think that all police are abusing their power. Mm. Well, my dad was a police officer for 18 years, and... He never mm. abused his power. He never took things too far. And then he re-enlisted in the military, and uh, now he's a staff sergeant in the military. Hmm. Um, and most police officers are good people who want to serve their communities, right? Right. Uh, it's generalizing, yeah. Exactly. But then there are those handful of individuals that shouldn't be police officers and who abuse their power. Wait, so is that, is that statistic tendency towards black people... Um, it's not even debatable anymore? It's factually known, yeah. Okay. Uh, we know that 60% of police homicides are against black individuals, even though they only make up, I think it was 13% of the population. Hmm. And so there is the, the disproportionality there, you know, that um, black people are more likely to be impacted by police violence. Now, again, police violence is rare, but when it does happen, it is disproportionately impacting certain groups of people. Hmm. Um, and black people, but also indigenous people. Native Americans. Minorities, Native American. okay. I, I would say really specifically uh, black individuals and indigenous folks. 
Um, Native Americans. Right. When you say minorities, you know, you're sort of lumping all minorities in there. And although I would say minorities as a whole do face more discrimination by police, Hmm. it's, it's not as factually known as black people and indigenous folks. Okay. You know. So people, no one debates that. Like everyone knows that on both sides, I guess. I mean, in the in the research community, yeah, yeah, all right, it's known. But people will, of course, debate, you know, because there is sort of this this tug of war between agendas, and yeah. so, um, you know, people hear Black Lives Matter and they hear it as Black Lives Only Matter instead mm. of Black Lives Matter too, mm. you know. But right. again, that's my. That's my personal stance. That's not the stance of the Center for Homicide Research. Well, wouldn't it make sense just for everyone to just say all lives matter? It would if it weren't for the fact that all lives matter came out as a uh, direct challenge to black lives matter. Okay. And so, you know, if we're saying all lives matter, does that not include black lives? Yeah. Does that not include black people? Does it not include indigenous individuals? well, and no. So, it, well, I mean, all all people wouldn't it include black people. All all lives matter. It would, yeah, if it oh. weren't for the fact that it were created in direct opposition to the idea of Black Lives Matter. I would say that the Black Lives Matter movement came about to bring awareness to a very real statistic, and that statistic is that black people are disproportionately impacted by that small percentage of bad police that choose to. Um, police in a way that is less than ethical, mm-hmm. right? Right. How do, we, how do we fix that? I would say different hiring practices could do a lot. In Minnesota, for example, we have a requirement that you need a two-year and four-year degree. What we're finding, though, is that a lot of individuals that could be good police are locked out because they may not have a degree. Hmm. You know, individuals that might be perfectly qualified they might not have a degree and so they can't be police officers you know and so you're saying we're we're hiring too many privileged people with educations i'd say for to be cops i'd say we need to be careful about how we hire people yeah all right we can say that hiring people who have a degree are going to be more intellectual right Mm -hmm. but that may not necessarily be the case Hmm. Just, yeah, I mean, it's a hard question for sure. It is. It's, it it's is, a hard. It's, <laughs> it's a very hard question. <laughs> a, the the a, comment a, section is going to be great on this one. <laughs> well, yeah, no, as always, as always, you'll have final approval. Um, we can take out anything you want. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I hope that, yeah, I thought you knew that. Um, Good. <laughs> That puts me a little at ease. Yeah, I, yeah, I want. This is good I'm stuff. Not, though. Yeah, I'm not trying all to screw anyone is, over. Yeah, this is all very important to talk about. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So. And I'm also like very in the dark about it. Yeah. Sure. So I'm I'm kind of educating myself with this series. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like free education, two birds in one. Um, let's see. Yeah, hiring better hiring practices. Um, what else? Anything else? I mean, yeah, it's. I'm. So there exists an argument that when you hire more racially diverse officers, they may be less likely to um, abuse their power in situations where they might be confronted with a, say, a black individual, right? Um, 
That's not necessarily true because of the culture of police stations, of police agencies. Hmm. And so I'd say that there needs to be a sort of cultural shift within certain police agencies because, again, we have a tendency to lump all of these police together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that certain police departments may be doing a phenomenal job. They may be hiring the right people. They may have a diverse staff and their culture may be very um, open-minded and um, they may be less inclined to defend a bad cop, right? Right. Um, and in Minneapolis, just as the example, because that's where I'm from, they have a police shortage. So police are overworked, they're stressed out, and so maybe the answer is to hire more police, which might seem kind of counterintuitive. It's like, well, if police are part of the problem, why would you hire more police? Well, all police are not part of the problem, but that handful of unethical individuals that are super stressed out, they are. And so the solution very well may be let's hire more police that are ethical to sort of even out that workload. Okay. You'll have less stressed out officers and you'll see fewer shootings. Homicide is um, it's very race-based. You know, It's hmm. tied up in racial inequities and racism. Uh, and so just talking about it is going to result in a lot of uncomfortable conversations and yeah. conversations that people really don't want to ha- have, you know. They don't want to chat with a homicide researcher because, for one, I mean, homicide is a very sad and scary thing. Mm-hmm. And then to talk about race, too? Yeah. Oh, my. Right. You know? And to talk about historic oppression, to talk about slavery, mm-hmm. to talk about lynching. Yeah. You know, these are very tough topics to talk about. So you're always trying to prevent homicide. That's the whole goal of right. the research center. How do you, how are you trying to, like, I guess what steps are you guys doing to do that? Right. So, like I mentioned before, we manage a number of different databases. And so we can do statistical analysis to see homicide trends. And we can use those trends to uh, teach individuals like you, or we can use them to uh, train police officers. We can use them to even speak to policymakers and try to help them understand what policies need to be put in place in order to uh, prevent these homicides from occurring. Okay, so and, like, give me an example. Like, Sure. Um, you make a report like right. saying there's a bunch of homicides right. in this area and it's this demographic and then you tell that to a lobbyist or whatever and then they, what do they do? I mean, I don't know. To be honest, a lot of times they do nothing. Yeah. And that's the big issue that we deal with. We don't deal with enough people who are trying to do something about it. Hmm. Um, so, for example, we might use our National GLBT Homicide Database to look at the standard pattern of a gay homicide. And so we can identify different characteristics of a gay homicide so that when an investigator arrives on the scene, they're able to more accurately identify that individual as a gay person and then go about finding the offender. There are many different types of homicide, hmm. okay? There are mass shootings, and there are many different types of mass shootings. How does acknowledging those different types help prevent homicide? Sure, right now everyone is looking at public mass shootings involving strangers, right? Okay. right. But two thirds of all mass shootings take place in a private residence. Typically they are committed by a dad, and he ends up killing the wife and the kids. 
that's your standard mass shooting, right? Okay. But those mass shootings are going to have different profiles than a high school shooter. And so how do how and so how does acknowledging those different types prevent homicide? Well, uh, I guess I would say, how does a school safety monitor prevent a man from killing his wife and his kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when we acknowledge those different types, we gain a better understanding of, all right, well, this might prevent one type of homicide, but not another. What do all the mass shooters, not including the dads, have in common? That are actually sure. school shooters, Vegas, Pulse, Sandy Hook, yeah. Sure. I would say that they don't all share one commonality. Mm. Just to use an example, the Las Vegas shooter, uh, we don't really know why he committed that mass shooting. Yeah. Right? Now you look at someone like... Okay, so... Sorry. Let me rewind. Yeah. I'm So... You might notice that I don't use the offender's names, and that's because I am a signer on the No Notoriety campaign. I'm an yeah. endorser of the No Notoriety campaign. And the No Notoriety campaign is really focused on not using the names or faces right. of active shooters because it gives them the fame that a lot of them want. Mm -hmm. And so I try not to use the offender's names uh, ever if I can. Sometimes I do have to in rare circumstances, but I try not to. Right. So there's no, there's no commonality between every single shooter. There are certain shooters that share commonalities, but just as an example, the Las Vegas shooter, we don't know why he committed that mass shooting. Hmm. Now you look at the Columbine shooters, there were two, and you see individuals that may have been suicidal. Yeah, individuals that, um, were very angry and it, um, what we typically think of when we think of mass shootings is that they are homicide incidents. We don't think of them as suicide incidents, hmm. but they very well could be. Uh, we may be dealing with an offender that uh, is suicidal, that is angry, that wants to end their life, but uh, doesn't want to do it without a bang. Yeah. And so you might see offenders who plan out every element of this mass shooting and they may have the full intent to kill themselves, even if they aren't able to do it in the end. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe the police didn't shoot them. Maybe they weren't able to shoot themselves and then they get caught. Uh, hmm. um, what's your position on gun control? So think of gun control like this. There exists a line of lethality, right? Uh, over here, you have weapons like your hands and knives, less lethal weapons. And over here, you have tanks, you have missiles, you have machine guns that shoot grenades. Mm -hmm. And gun control and the, the debate surrounding gun control is really focused on where should, uh, where should that cutoff be for the public yeah. on that line of lethality? Should we allow people to have AR-15s? Should we move it over a little bit and allow people to have AK-47s? Should we even allow people to purchase tanks, right? Yeah, yeah. Or should we move it the other direction? What do you and think? Personally, I think that we should move it in the other direction. I think that, you know, although a ban on certain guns is not going to prevent all mass shootings, 
it is going to reduce their lethality. Is it a fact that countries that have tighter gun laws have fewer homicides with guns? I don't like to compare the United States to other countries because yeah. other countries are are very different than us. Yeah, there's they're, just different factors. They yeah. there's so many different factors. You yeah. know, people try to compare us to France. You know, but France has existed for hundreds of years longer than us. Hmm. Uh, they're more homogenous. They deal with different types of issues than we do. One is like we have a lot more guns than mm -hmm. most most countries, just in the circulation. Right. Yeah. So. I would say that you could make a pretty good argument. Well, okay, let me rewind. So every researcher is going to have a different opinion as to what that one thing is above all else that's causing high homicide rates in the United States, right? Right. Um, I would probably say myself that poverty is a huge issue. When we look at areas where high homicide rates occur, they are typically in more impoverished areas, right? Um, it's not 100% true, you still see homicides in rich areas, but they're different types of homicides too, hmm. you know, and so... Yeah, well, I mean, Africa's like all poor, you know, India's poor. I feel like America's like one of the richest countries. It right? is. So, doesn't that debunk that argument? <laughs> I, I, I would say no, uh, and the reason I'd say no is, again, really different factors all culminating, you Yeah. Know? Now, I, it keep, I feel like it keeps boiling down. Like we just have more guns, and it's like I'm thinking, like India, like they just don't have that many guns. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like an American patriotic thing to have a gun. You know? It is right, yeah. and so you know, I don't want to put all the blame on firearms, but there are a lot of studies that show that increased accessibility to firearms increases homicide rates. Okay. Why is that? Well. If you're in a scenario where you want to kill someone and you have a firearm, it's just that much easier. Yeah. Okay? Let's say that we magically take away all the guns, right? Okay. That's not going to prevent all homicide. It's going to reduce the lethality of homicide incidents. And so instead of using a gun, someone is going to use a knife. Right. You're more likely to survive a knife attack than you are to survive a gun attack. No, yeah, not to mention you can't kill 50 people in a matter of minutes. Exactly. What is the best way to prevent homicide, right? Well, it's very difficult to tackle all of those systemic factors. You have to tackle poverty, but you also have to tackle racism. You have to tackle domestic abuse, right? And those are all very difficult things to tackle at once. But when you take away the firearm, when you reduce that, you know, when you, you remove it from the equation, mm -hmm. you're going to see fewer homicides because it's going to be more difficult for people to kill one another. When you make an incident less lethal, right? Mm -hmm. Just like that, it's less likely that that incident is going to re result in a homicide, hmm. okay? And so what is the solution? Well, I really do think that square one should be a comprehensive set of uh, federal laws that tackle gun violence specifically. And a lot of people think, well, that means that they're targeting our rights, but not at all, you know? I mean, yeah. if you look at cars, when someone gets into a car crash, we don't blame the car, we blame the driver. But drivers have driver's licenses. There's laws that require them to wear a seatbelt. There's laws on car manufacturers to make sure that cars are safe. When you look at the gun industry, you see fewer of those types of laws. The NRA definitely has a stake. Like they, right. they pay a shit ton of money to keep the gun laws in place, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a fact. Yeah, absolutely.
So that's um, a problem. They like it's kind of just like the food industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of big companies they've got enough money to give to super PACs that then go on to finance campaigns of candidates. And if you want to win, you have to make sacrifices and say, "All right, well, I don't really believe this, but I want to get elected." And so. All right, sure. I'll be super pro Second Amendment and super pro NRA, even though I know that sensible gun reforms are going to prevent homicides. Yeah. Right. And it's that way with pretty much everything you can think of. Right. And yeah. That's a huge issue: money and politics. You mm -hmm. know. Right. Um, <laughs> I think it's something everyone can get behind too. You know that we need to get big money out of politics. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Is, yeah. Well, wasn't that kind of one of Donald Trump's? edge like he he will he was one of the few that wasn't accepting money or i don't know you're right yeah he wasn't right? and so it's funny because it it may not always work but it's funny because he's like pretty pro-gun isn't he yes absolutely <laughs> yeah and then you have bernie sanders who was really far left you know and so in some ways you have these more extremist candidates but at the same time they were running for president you know mm. and um when you have the national stage it is somewhat of a different ball game now imagine that every single member of Congress was not funded by a super PAC. You know, what would they allow those presidents to do? No. Uh, because that's a, another component. We don't live in a dictatorship. We live in a society where Congress makes the laws. Yeah. And when Congress is influenced by big money, they're more likely to say, well, I want to get reelected, so sure, I'll do what the NRA tells me. And then that bill ends up on Donald Trump's desk, who ends up signing it. Yeah. Is it possible that without big money in politics, we could have a million Donald Trumps? I don't think so. And the reason I don't is because Donald Trump really has never won the majority of the vote. Hmm. He won because he beat 17 other candidates that spread the, the, the field so thin that he could win with whatever it was, 40% of the Republican base. Yeah. You know? It seems like common sense. Right. It really does. And yeah. I guess that's why they call it common sense gun reform. Oh. You know, because it is common sense. But when you're dealing with massive organizations like the NRA who have a huge financial stake, who can use their money to influence politicians, hmm. uh, you are going to see those sort of more radical policies. In yeah. Minnesota, there was a push to legalize silencers, suppressors, hmm. as they're more properly known as. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, how do you prevent homicide? Well, uh, I think we acknowledge the different types and we acknowledge that homicide impacts certain groups of people more often. Okay. And that that is not inherently their fault. It's not that, oh, well, they're black, so they're more likely to commit a homicide. Mm -hmm. You know, individuals who have faced systemic oppression, which can include white people as well. You know, there's plenty of white people who live in homicide clusters. It's just that more black people live within those areas. And so they're more likely to be the victim of a homicide. They're more likely to commit a homicide. Because of poverty? Yep. Or... No, you're, you're right on the right track. Yeah, so yeah. all the above, you know. Okay. Uh, in North Minneapolis, you see a lot of low-income housing, right? You mm -hmm. see a lot more poverty. You see individuals with... Uh, lower graduation rates from high school and that's going to impact their ability to get a job mm -hmm. and so you have all these factors coming together and that increases the likelihood that a homicide will occur and the poverty is is a result of 
historical oppression, most likely? In a lot of cases, yes. Okay. Yeah. Are there any statistics that support the other side? Oh my, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like like self-defense? Yeah. Like saved a homicide? Absolutely. Homicide. I keep saying homicide for some reason. All right. And, And there is. All right. And so research is tricky sometimes because we rely heavily on criteria that we set for ourselves. And criteria is that set of prongs that will be used to determine what case is included in our database, right? Hmm. And so uh, at the center, we try very hard to be as non-political as possible. Unbiased. Exactly. Once you you enter bias into your research, you have Mm, reports. Shit. Exactly. (laughs) It is. It's unusable. There's reports put out by the NRA that try to draw a correlation between the reduced number of homicides that we've seen over the past few decades. Mm-hmm. We're at historic lows. You know, I don't know if you knew that or not, but... Yeah, are, I have heard it's been getting better. Right, it yeah. has, exactly. And people will compare that to an increase in gun ownership. And there is an increase in gun ownership. Okay, but that doesn't mean cause and effect. Exactly. It's just if, a core... It's just a... Um, if you are using certain methodology, you can make anything possible. I could say that the reduction in homicide rates is due to more people owning cars. Right. That's you know? what I mean. What's the thing? It's a correlation doesn't equal causation. Yeah, that I think sounds is what right. you're going for. Well, I think that like the example when I first learned about that um, concept was like the ice cream cones in the summertime. Like there's increased sales. Have you heard that? I haven't. Okay, never mind. Some people in the comments might. I think it was a psychology class. Oh, sure. (laughs) Okay, so, yeah, NRA tries to kind of fudge these kind of reports up, but it's not a causation kind of thing. Right. It's just a, they just happen to be both going Exactly. Okay. Right. Um, And so... And they totally exclude all the uh, evidence that does show that having more guns causes higher homicides. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. But then you have individuals on the other side who might say, oh, well, there's a school shooting every other day, right? But they're including every discharge of a firearm in their database. Someone who suicides in the parking lot. Someone who is carrying a firearm to pick up their son and it accidentally discharges in their car, Yeah. right? right. Every single discharge of a firearm is included in some of those databases. Hmm. In reality, school shootings are not increasing in frequency. Mass shootings in general are not increasing in frequency. It seems like they are. Well, the reason you believe that is because they're increasing in lethality. Mass shootings are becoming more deadly. More people are dying in mass shootings, and the media is covering them more often because of that. Hmm. But we've held pretty consistent for the past few decades. Well, isn't that worse than (laughs) non-lethal? I don't know. Uh, So, Isn't that what counts? Like, if there's more lethal... It is, yeah, it does count. It is yeah. important to look at that. It's it's just as bad. Yeah. It's just that people will think that they're increasing in frequency, hmm. but they're not. They're increasing lethality. They're going more people okay. are dying in mass shootings, but they're not necessarily increasing in the frequency that they occur at. Why why do right? you think that is? Well, we know that offenders learn from one another. So during the Virginia Tech shooting, the offender chained a door so that people could not escape. Right. Okay. More offenders afterwards started chaining doors shut. Hmm. Okay. Um, offenders are learning which weapons to use based on what other offenders have used. Hmm. 
Um, so bottom line, like stop making documentaries about stop making the, documentaries the about offenders killers. lives. Yeah, right. pretty much the no notoriety campaign. But there's really, like so many coming out like every year. Well, just got a documentary. Well, not a documentary, a movie made about him that's supposedly going to be played by. Did you hear about that? Yeah, we've got this wow you know, attractive movie star who yeah. is playing a guy that killed and had sex with the dead bodies well, of 32 women well i'm yeah like i'm guilty of it like i love like murder mysteries and oh sure it's great entertainment but yeah i guess i didn't even think like i guess the um that all the future killers are like studying them and exactly and we are in a way kind of idolizing these killers we and, are or not not idolize we're like glorifying them we are we're giving them more attention after right. the dead. And so I think one of the greatest, most nonpartisan solutions to mass shootings that occur in a public space is to just not use the offender's face or the offender's name. Yeah. And you can still cover the incident. You can talk about the victims. You can talk about the firearm that was used. You can talk about where it occurred. Mm-hmm. Just don't talk about the offender. Yeah. Right? It's something well, so simple. Yeah, but it's also like they're so fascinating. Like like psychos and it is right sociopaths and, I, and it's what we want to hear you know and the media is a reflection of that which we want to hear about, not necessarily that that we do need to hear about. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. If people want to hear about cheese manufacturing in Wisconsin, and every person in the United States wanted to hear about it, you'd see a lot of news covering that. Everybody wants to talk about mass shootings, and so every news organization, every time there's even a small mass shooting has to talk about the mass shooting, has yeah. to talk about the offender, because people are so fascinated by them. Right. And that sort of perpetuates the issue. If we just don't talk about the offenders, if we mm. don't give them the fame that they want, you're going to see fewer mass shooting incidents. And there's research to back that up. Is there? There is, yeah. If you Google my name, Jeff Mathwig, okay. you'll get a link to a report, not done by me, but that was done by someone else, a phenomenal report. Um by uh, in the same center? No, it was done by someone at a university, <coughs> but the methodology is sound. It's, it was a really well done report hmm. and it examines the impact of media coverage uh, on the- uh, On the minds of other killers. Right, exactly, whatever. yeah. And it like shows evidence of them like, like uh, I guess studying old like other killers and media. oh absolutely right you know some of these offenders they'll go raid their houses after they've committed an offense and they'll find crime magazines all over they will find um i've heard i've actually heard catcher in the rise a thing yeah <laughs> which is i have a copy of that oh really yeah uh, offenders love to fantasize about these incidents huh you know we'll see offenders who they'll read police books you know, police textbooks that they use to teach police officers hmm. in um, in universities because they want to fantasize about oh, where are the police going to come from. You know, how are they going to try and stop me? You know. I just thought, what, what do you think of Grand Theft Auto and video games? You think those are having an effect? I don't. I think that uh, media in general is less likely to have an impact on a person that is mentally sound, that is not violent. You know. The things that could be said about video video games are the same that could be said about any other form of media, comic yeah. books, uh, movies. Well, I guess video games, it's like you're doing it and you're like you're choosing there, to. There is a bit of a have sex with there, the hooker. And sure, there's a different component to it. Yeah. Yeah. But even with that said, I would still say that all forms of media are not necessarily going to impact an individual's 
propensity to commit a violent act. Okay. There and have been, there, is there any research on it? Well, there are. There is. There's yeah. research that shows that in the short term, kids who were shown violent media, I believe they were shown puppets hitting each other on the head and doing all this stuff to each other. Okay. The kids were then given a toy or whatever, and they were more likely to hit one another, right? Okay. And that's been used as this idea that, oh, well, viewing violent material is likely to impact a child's development and propensity to commit a violent act in the future. Okay. But I disagree. I think that, you know, any individual who sees something violent in an entertaining sort of way leaves that with a different worldview. You know, you go see a superhero movie and it's like, wow, that was cool. How cool would it be to be a superhero? Hmm. Or you see an action movie and you think, gosh, you know, James Bond is so cool. I'd love to be James Bond. Okay. Or you see a sad film and you walk away feeling sad. Sure. Uh, But, well, yeah, but but, so when you see a violent film, you walk away feeling violent? I'd say that you walk away feeling a different sense of... Yeah, I would say that. I'd say that in the short term, an individual walking away from a violent film is more likely to replicate <laughs> that violence. But I don't think But it's that not like a long-term thing. Exactly. Long-term effect, yeah. All of these studies talk about short-term effects, right? Okay. Right. And I just don't think that long-term, violent um, forms of media are going to have that impact, right? On an individual that has... A good upbringing that yeah. has sound judgment that's but, mentally stable but yeah but also kids are like sponges and it and it is a good idea to not expose them to that until they're like 16 I right? think that's fair yeah you know I mean why would you want your kid to watch a saw film it's traumatic yeah there's people who like come, that makes sense to me sure well, there's yeah. people that intern at the center and you show them pictures of a, of a crime scene and and they quit you yeah know? because it's Wow. Once you see what it really looks like, it's it's shocking. Wow. You know, you see the videos, you see have you, the... Have you ever been by a corpse? I haven't, no, but our oh. principal researcher has. Yeah. Um, and different individuals who have worked for the center have. I haven't had that opportunity you've, yet. You've seen, like, what kind of nasty pictures have you seen? What do you mean? <laughs> Everything you can think of. So, um, <laughs> you know, incidents involving the uh, sexual... Where oh. maybe you see, uh, oh, man. A, oh my, yeah, I can't, yeah, a dismembered body, um, videos of people being killed, hit in the head with a hammer, videos of people being shot. Um, I mean, in some cases, these offenders are, the fil- are these offenders are filming it because they get sexual gratification out of it. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have to like. Yeah, I can't. I, that's gonna get demonetized. <laughs> that's that's well, gone straight for demonetization. Well, also, though, have you seen these deep web videos on YouTube? Like, yes, I have. Yeah, like top five scary five night Mister Nightmare. They and they, yeah, they talk about or Let's Read. You heard of Let's Read? I haven't heard of Let's Read, but I've heard of the top um, five where ones. they just read scary stories. Yeah, 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 deep web stuff. Like I'm like, how do they, how is this on YouTube? You know, and they talk about. <laughs> yeah, so I love Deep Five. Yeah. Listening to Deep Five. There's like yeah, there's like Deep Five, Top Five. Yeah. Whatever. And some of those stories Dark are Dark Five. Yeah. 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 Some of those stories are true <clears throat> and some of them are just total BS, but I mean, how would we even know? Right, exactly. It's like Reddit usually. Right. So. Well, seeing the crime scene photos, you know, and you know, geez. Man. You know, this is real stuff. This really does happen. Um, you see Silence of the Lambs? I haven't. No. 
Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, I really want to see. People, I, it's funny you mention that. People always say to me, have you seen Silence of the Lambs? Really? Like, that's the movie for me to watch. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, do you watch, like, R-rated movies? Is that a, you're fine? Mm, yeah, sometimes. I'm more of, like, a suspense type of person as opposed to the intense gore associated yeah. with our movies it's not gory no it's more suspense uh, that's really my type of movie you know yeah. being able to see being on the edge of your seat that's yeah. what i like yeah. but the real gore fests you know no like saw no it's not like saw no it's it's, it's much more films. psychological thriller sometimes when you know law enforcement uh what movie oh <laughs> okay hold on yeah you're gonna love this sorry what were you saying oh right so R-rated movies. Yeah. In some of these offenders' homes, when law enforcement raids their house, mm-hmm. you'll find dozens of movies like Saw. Uh, oh, well, doesn't that kind of help confirm our case then? Like, no, because again, we're talking about individuals who uh, have already become serial offenders who like to watch that material because it's sexually erotic to them. Yeah. Now, those films do not make people sexually attracted to violence. You know, it's kind of like right. putting B before A. You yeah, know? it's the whole not causation. Exactly, yeah, right. Yeah. Correlation does not mean causation. Mm-hmm. These offenders, they like watching these films because they already enjoy violence. Because yeah. it's something sexually gratifying to them. Hmm. You know, in some of these cases, I don't know if this is going to get you demonetized or not. In some of these cases, they'll literally find on the uh, dead bodies of these victims. Wow. That's well, how we yeah. know for a fact, you know, this is definitely a sex homicide. Huh. Yeah. Um, is sex homicide um, more likely with whites or or any other <laughs> group of people? Whites make up the majority of the population, and so uh, yeah. they are always going to be, you know, until they're not in the majority, they're going to make up the majority of of sex homicide offenders, right. right? Now, with that said, it does seem like white individuals, white men, are more likely to uh, commit... It does seem like, yeah, it seems like all the serial killers I've ever heard of are white. Right. So. Right. And that's not true. You know, there are black serial offenders. There are very few Asian serial offenders. There are very few indigenous serial offenders. But there is a lot of whites. And then yeah. after that, it's black individuals I'd say um, why, why do you think that is it's like an entitlement thing I've heard that used as the argument yeah as to why there are more white serial offenders yeah um, you know there is an element of sadistic sexual control and so maybe white individuals who come from a place of privilege are more likely to want to exert that sadistic control on another person of course you look at a, an african country right um, where maybe whites are the majority mm-hmm. yet still have that privilege like south africa mm-hmm. where whites aren't necessarily the majority but they're certainly not marginalized mm-hmm. uh, i'd be curious to see are there more black serial offenders there do they even have that data because mm. some countries don't have that data yeah and now let's talk about sex homicide for a minute what is a sex homicide? Well, there's the clear-cut case, like who uh, killed these women and had sex with their dead bodies. Uh, and then there's the less clear cases, they, like they know 
he was a necrophiliac? Like, how did they know that he didn't have sex with them and then kill them? Well, he'd return to have sex with their bodies after they were killed. He'd come back multiple times. They know that? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, he'd, he'd have sex Just because, with them. because, like, the wasn't as old or something in their... I'm not entirely sure. I think that he maybe admitted to it as well. Okay. You know, during an interrogation. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember how they figured it out, but um, yeah, he'd have sex with them until they were bloated and purple, and he'd even come back and apply fresh makeup to them. And he oh. said the reason that he'd apply fresh makeup is to, um, you know, create shock when offender or when law enforcement found these dead women, right? But that wasn't true. It was so that way they'd look more lively because oh necrophiliacs, right? No one wants to have sex. That's crazy. Right. No one wants to have sex with a disgusting, bloated, purple body, right? They want a fresh body. Thanks for watching. Thanks for subscribing. Um, thank you so much, Jeffrey Matt. Mathwig. <laughs> Mathwig. <laughs> please check out home. Please check out homicidecenter.org link in the description and uh i will see you next week <laughs> you should tell them to follow me on twitter i'm trying to build up uh, sure twitter yeah. followers please follow jeff on twitter what's your twitter it's at jeff mathwig all one word all right i'll i'll link that as well <laughs> okay under the thing so thank you so much for being here man thanks andrew yeah this is great <laughs>